Welcome to Forecast Roundtable, Forecast International's podcast on worldwide defense and aerospace markets. I'm Doug Royce, and with me are fellow analysts who I will allow to introduce themselves. Dan Darling, Europe and Asia military markets analyst. Ray Jarowski, I cover commercial and military aerospace markets. And first off, what are the chances that despite the result in last week's public referendum, Britain somehow remains in the EU? Is this impossible? Is it something that could happen? Well, there's no binding mechanism built into the referendum. Um, there's, it's extremely unlikely that, that Parliament would choose to ignore the results of the referendum. Right. Uh, it seems quite likely, almost certain, that, that it will go ahead. It would be political suicide for, for the government to ignore a referendum that they presented to the public for all intents and purposes is something to be the final word on the subject. Well, David Cameron announced today that there wouldn't be a second referendum on uh, the Brexit. However, David Cameron won't be prime minister right. by October. Someone else will be atop the, the government, the Conservative Party. I would tend to agree with Ray that it would be very difficult for them to walk this back after um, possibly Boris Johnson will be atop the party and he campaigned for leave. So very difficult. However, lots of moving parts in the process of uh, exiting um, the European Union. One would be they have to trigger Article 50. Until they do that, nothing's well, going not on. Britain itself has to go to yes, the EU they and tell have them to request. They're, they're getting out. They have to make that request, and that will start the clock. And we expect that sooner rather than later? It will be the next prime minister. Cameron has said he won't do it himself. He'll leave it to his successor. And he's going when, in September or October? By October. By October. Okay. So by, would, the, by well, the end of the year, we might see the notice given, and then there's a, a two-year clock? Is mm, that minimum. Minimum, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes. um, Donald Tusk uh, has said it, it would be as long as seven to fully negotiate an exit. Um, how Britain would negotiate um, an external treaty with the EU might follow after Brexit negotiations. I'm sure the British would want that as part of the negotiations, but it's up to Europe to decide that. So what's the bottom line? Eventually, how do we think this is going to look? Um, but again, I mean, there are 27 other countries that are going to help negotiate and determine what the final results look right. like. So lots of moving parts. I wouldn't want to make a guess as to what it would look like. Or you know, when. Or when. Right. Yes, it's still going to be a very big market for EU countries. The UK is the fifth largest economy in the world. We could end up somewhere where it's formally outside of the EU, but may have full or nearly full access to the single market, a similar right. situation to Norway, for instance. Okay, so what impact will the move out of the EU have on existing British defense programs and existing British spending? Well, right now, I would think that uh, most of the programs that are underway, it will have very little impact on. Most of those are managed by OCAR, which is outside the EDA and, and the EU. Um, Britain pursues a lot of 
programs bilaterally. So again, no effect on immediate programs and programs that it, it buys off the shelf with the U.S. No effect. So I think right. it, very minimal impact in the short term. And they still remain in NATO. There's no there's, there's no impact no, there. No. Right. NATO's unaffected. In fact, um, ironically, uh, the importance and influence of NATO may actually increase because of this. And I say ironically because at a time where certain political factions in the U.S. have been downplaying the importance of NATO. Right. In fact, Brexit actually enhances the importance of, of the NATO organization in terms of international defense ties. So would it be fair to say that defense spending in Britain remains about the same? We, we don't expect any more programs, you know, any fewer programs? It I don't, just sort of carries on as it's been? I think under the SDSR, there's a five-year, and, and the, um, the defense spending review that came out um, late last year, there's an uptick in spending. Um, the trajectory goes over four or five fiscal years steadily upwards. Um, the question would be what happens with the economy in the short term and how does that affect it? I don't believe Britain will go under 2% of GDP um, allocated towards defense, which is the NATO alliance minimum standard, right. which the Cameron government made a point of um, saying they would adhere to it. It's symbolic, but 2% of GDP, if GDP is shrinking, will not be enough to sustain um, investment or act upon capabilities requirements that are outlined in the 2015 Strategic Defense Security Review. Well, they also, there's been a decline in the pound versus the euro and certainly against the dollar. How is that going to impact their fairly vibrant defense industry. They do export a fair number of defense articles. They're involved in a lot of right. pan-European programs like A400 and the Eurofighter. What What is the impact of a declining currency? That's, well, I'm sorry, that's the other aspect of, of this. Um, it depends if the British pound remains weak compared to the dollar and the euro. It, in the wake of Brexit, is it has dropped dramatically. Right. How long that extends for is going to play a big role in this. A lot of British overseas defense procurement is actually spent in dollars and in euros. If the pound remains weak compared to those two currencies, then, of course, the buying power of London um, consequently becomes weak. Right. And so the same, pro the same programs, um, even if they don't expand in scope, will get more costly in a in effect because of the weakness of the currency. Right, for the so import. So question becomes, will buying 138 F-35 still be affordable? You know, well, they get unfolding any over five years. From a decline in labor costs versus they, other parts I, of I the world. I think the fall in the currency helps their exports, obviously, but it inhibits their purchasing power um, looking at the P-8 Poseidon purchase for the maritime patrol aircraft, um, suddenly is that right, as that affordable in scope? Yeah. And I, I think that's a question that's going to be very interesting to see how some of this unfolds in the next year. Uh, because there's been talk that the first contract for the P-8 will be at Farnborough. Well, right yeah. now the currency <laughs> is... Uh, 
taking quite the nosedive, which again, I, I mean, I stated this in our other podcast, uh, markets will correct themselves. It's a short term right. slide, but how long do you delay programs? And more important than the currency fall is the GDP. Um, will, if that shrinks by say 3% for a year, how does that affect defense spending in the short term and projections going out into the near medium term? And will it force the government to take austerity measures, part of which could be cutbacks in defense? Yeah, we've, we've seen in other parts of Europe, austerity measures have a huge impact on procurement. Um, it doesn't sound like Britain is, would be quite as, as, uh, as hurt in that respect as something like where you look at Greece or Spain, where procurement certainly has fallen beyond below what was expected. Right. right. They have a much larger budget, but this is a uh, armed forces that are coming off a five-year, eight percent reduction in defense spending. Right. So, having that follow a period of defense austerity might weigh heavily on the armed forces and their capabilities. Right. I mean, we, we've talked. They've gone without maritime patrol for five years now, going on six, and they've gone without carrier and, and carriers and jump jets. Well, say, so. interesting that you would mention ships because looking at the impact of this on their shipbuilding industry, what are we looking at with Brexit on um, British naval projects, such as the successor submarines, Trident, and the domestic naval shipbuilding industry? The question becomes what happens with Scotland uh, because BAE, a lot of their shipyards are in Scotland and the naval base for the Royal Navy where they would have the successor submarine station where the current um, class of uh, nuclear attack submarines is based is in um, Scotland. So the Scots might not be too eager to renew a lease at that base if they um, have an independence some, referendum. Yeah, there's some talk because Scotland right. voted in favor of remaining in the mm -hmm. EU. There's been some talk that they could break off from the from, from the UK and Correct. make their own deal. And that is where it gets a little tricky because the, the UK would have to figure out where to station those submarines in um, Devonport, maybe Wales, but you would have to build the infrastructure for that, which right. is estimated about 10 years. So do you lease, uh, come to a lease agreement with the Scottish government, which if it's headed by the SNP, might be politically tricky. Yeah, although I think, you know, in, in general, lease agreements are something that brings cash in. And, you know, military bases tend to bring a lot of cash to a local area. In right. some cases, you see some conflict in places like Japan between bases and, and the local population because of, um, you know, the social aspects of bases. Certainly. It becomes a sovereignty a versus pragmatic right. issue. Um, right. It really becomes an issue if a second referendum on Scottish independence go, goes through and right. passes. Um, then what happens? Um, Scotland, the present Scottish government has made it clear that they would like to maintain ties with the EU. Right. The First Minister this past weekend even said that she's going to explore possibly, even if Scotland remains inside the UK, maintaining some type of Scottish ties to the EU. 
whether seems, or not that'll work out in practice yeah, seems very, seems very complicated. Yeah. Um, if Scotland does become independent, then all this other things that we've been talking about come into play. Does Scotland and England still maintain a common defense framework, a common defense umbrella? Do they really go their own way in military matters? Um, everything really is up in the air at that point. And something for the Scots to consider is the cost that would be borne by Scotland. Right. And well, yeah, they, they suddenly have to pay for their own defense. And, right. and I believe that Scotland is where they also have bases that patrol. They send out patrols for the Arctic and mm-hmm. northern approaches. So Correct. that's a very busy naval area that they mm. would suddenly become responsible for. Right. And the Russians haven't been shy about uh, penetrating airspace and yeah. um, having their submarines patrol closely to um, other nations' shores, yeah. as we've seen in Europe. Um, one other point is the, the national shipbuilding plan is for the UK is expected to be rolled out in the fall, and I'm not sure now what happens with that. Because, to be honest, if Brexit does happen, and it happens in, in the next two years, and obviously it would happen under a new government. There will be a new government by October, no matter what. What happens to the current SDSR? Okay, well, that wraps up our coverage of this issue for now. We'll be back with more coverage. Thank you for joining us at Forecast Roundtable. For more information on international aerospace and defense markets, visit www.forecastinternational.com.